we're taking something from us. We're taking something away. And if you really get locked into the fact that it's his anyway, it's more an issue of deployment. So it's an issue of, Lord, how do you want to deploy your assets in our general situation? So when you have things come along, you know, I just thought that uh, a friend of mine had, had mentioned that, it's, it's very helpful. Let me, let me just uh, give you a quick background. I, by trade, and CPA, have been an investment advisor, have been doing it for almost 40 years. Um, I've, in, I guess nowadays, work primarily with uh, individuals who tend to make a fair amount of money uh, or have a fair amount of money invested. I'm, I kind of work with the high end, several hundred thousand, several million companies. Um, but there was a season of time, so I, I kind of get that side of things. There was a season of time, though, where we lived literally on the verge of bankruptcy. What tends to happen when we talk about money is everybody says, well, that's good for you, but you don't understand my situation. And so, just very briefly, 25 years ago, we were in a, in a place where our minimum monthly payments on our credit card type debt was equal to 100% of our gross income. Our credit card type debt short-term debt was 150% of our mortgage debt, okay? And in one month, we had NSF uh, non-sufficient fund charges that were 50% higher than our house payment. And in less than five years, the Lord got us completely out of debt. Now, how in the world that happened, I do not know now. Uh, I lived it. I still don't understand it. Uh, but he, taught, he took us through a season of teaching us that he is our provider. And people think that I, what I have to say about money is primarily based on my background or based on what I do for a living or something like that, and I'm sure that there's an element of that. But let me tell you, the primary thing I've had revelation about is because I've lived it and I've made more mistakes than everybody in here combined. Okay, seriously. I'm, y'all think I'm kidding, but I'm serious. You know, golf, I used to play golf, but I don't anymore. We used to play golf. You know, the guys that play golf down the middle of the fairway, they see relatively little of the golf course. I mean, they don't know a whole lot about it. I, on the other hand, I'm off in the woods. I'm over behind this cabin. I, I can tell you things about golf that nobody can. So, so the thing about money is I've been placed in because you don't want to go, and so hopefully we can uh, do some of that. But the Lord's really been, I've been studying this and, and working on it as far as a message for about 20-something years, but it's really been pressing the issue for the last couple of years. Now, I want to tell you in advance, this is a great way to start, you're not going to like a lot of what I have to say. Okay? I don't like it. You're not going to like it. There's not going to be a whole lot that's going to be totally new in the sense of, wow, I've never heard that before. But what I'm really going to be doing is holding up a mirror. You know, the Lord speaks to me a lot of times through movie theology, and one of them is The Lion King. You want to see The Lion King? Remember Rafiki with the little priest, you know, monkey? And he goes to um, Simba, you know, the heir to the throne, the child of the king, and he hits him in the head with a club. And Simba says, do you not know who I am? And his response was, oh, I know who you are. You have forgotten who you are. And so when I started down this path, the Lord says, my job is to be Rafiki, so I'm going to hit you in the head this morning with a club, so just... You know, kind of be prepared for that. Now, normally, here's the problem. Money is where we live. I mean, money and health. We all have our belief system, but money is where it really plays out. 
It's where we get tested in our faith. And when we start looking at it closely, one of two things tends to happen. I've never, I've never run across somebody that did it all right. Okay? And so what tends to happen is we find an area where maybe we've not been walking out what the Lord's been saying. And so we get one of two responses. We either get conviction, in which case we're supposed to repent, or we get condemnation, like accusation, in which case we're supposed to resist them. So I just want to tell you in advance, be prepared if you decide to take on and look at the issue of money, not just today, but actually, you know, go beyond this and see what the Lord wants to say about it. You will be attacked, for sure. I mean, new levels, new devils, that sort of thing. I cannot believe, ever since we agreed to start speaking about this publicly again, I have been astonished. I was expecting it, and I've been astonished at how much attack there's been. I mean, our pool has turned on not once but twice. The heater has turned on while we're out of town. You know, air conditioning going out. You know, money, a lawsuit, threats. I mean, all sorts of things, just completely out of the blue. And all of it's happened in the last six months since I agreed to do this. I just got through teaching about 13 hours on this. Okay, so by necessity, and I was given the, the surface in the 13 hours. So today we only have, what, three or four hours? And so we're going to have to cut it down. So hopefully we're, we're just going to try to touch on some things. All right, so why is it, why is it, why does it matter? Why does what we do with our money matter? Well, for one thing, it's a matter of connection, connection with the heart of God as far as intimacy is concerned. You know, when Jesus said, we skip over it, when he says, let's for yourself, treasures, you know, in heaven, all, the earth, all that sort of stuff, okay? What are you saying? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What he's saying is, the heart follows the money. And that's exactly what you were just describing. The heart follows the money. Whenever you have an accumulation of money or anything else, your heart tends to go after it. I'm not saying don't save anything. I'm just saying that's the way it works. So in a very real sense, there are levels of intimacy you cannot get to until you deal with the money. There is blockage in your intimacy with the Lord Himself based on how you're handling money. And it's not a judgment issue. It's just your heart can't be wholeheartedly given if it's following after money. And so that's one of the reasons it's really important. Another thing the Lord told me several years ago, there is a day coming when He's going to touch our finances. Some of us have already had it. Some of us will have it. And in my experience, for almost 40 years of working with people, most people, when the Lord touches their finances, they too would go away sorrowful. I mean, if the Lord said, I want you to give everything away, most of the people that I've, I've worked with through the years, I mean, very devout Christians, that is taking them a place they don't want to go. I had a meeting with a guy in December of this last year, and he was all worried about the world's economic shaking and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, you know, what are you going to say? And he said, well, just what do you think? And I said, you don't want to hear what I think. I like, no, no, really, I, I want to know. I said, no, I promise you, you do not want to hear what I have to say about it. And so he just kept pressing and kept pressing. And so I was like, yeah, that's right. You know, the, the thing may be shaking, you may lose everything. But it's not your money anyway, okay? So you have to rely on the Lord. I mean, the sobriety that hit the room was unbelievable. I mean, this guy was just not prepared. And, you know, he 
said thanks and went on down down the road because that's the way most of us are going to respond. I mean, really. And if you think about some of the things in Scripture, I mean, he sent the disciples out and said, "Be sure and don't take any money or any extra clothes." We would call that bad stewardship. I mean, we're so far away from what he talked about, we can't even see what normal is. And yet, to him, because we're using the world's, you know, deal. So one of the reasons is he's going to touch the deal. The next thing is there is going to be a great global economic shaking. Now, this doesn't take rocket science. But I mean, it's going to happen. What does Haggai 2 say? Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Can economic systems be shaken? What did we find in 2008? You know, can they be shaken? Yes, they can and will be shaken. It's going to happen. Now, is it going to happen worse than 2008? In my personal opinion, the answer is absolutely. I mean, not even close. I think 2008 was designed as a wake-up call for the body to say, Lord, I didn't realize, I didn't mean to, but I have put my reliance in myself and in my investments and in my retirement account and all these things. In other words, I think you're just kind of rattling the cage. But most of us are just glad to have it over and think, boy, I hope we don't ever, you know, do that again. Okay? No, it's going to be way worse than that. I mean, what we've got is we've got a worldwide, we've got this big, big Jenga puzzle where, you know, people are going pulling pieces out, stacking on top, and the day's going to come and the things are going to come down. I mean, it's just going to happen. And if your heart's not prepared when that happens, you're going to be shaken instead of being people that can be speakers of hope. In the midst of chaos, we need people that are speaking hope. And if you're not prepared to lose essentially everything, then you're not going to be speaking hope in that situation. You're going to be worrying about what you want. Okay? Now, let me, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, and, and my point is to make it real negative because if we go down this path, I mean, there's all sorts of things. I mean, you've got biblical witness that a day is coming when we're going to get a shaking. And in the middle of Haggai 2, he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. In other words, money's going to be part of that shaking. But we also have prophetic witness. I mean, some of you know the world, you know, prophets, most noted prophets, have been talking about a coming economic shaking for the last decade. Talking about right now, long before it ever happened. And Terry Bennett, back in the early 2000s, was talking about this time frame right now. Okay, and then you just got the signs of the times. I mean, just look at America by itself. You know, we got 16 trillion dollars worth of debt. You know how much a trillion dollars is. And this is 16 trillion. If you were alive on the day Jesus was born and you spent 1,000, I mean, one million dollars a day uh, every day since the day Jesus was born, you would not yet have spent one trillion dollars. And our day is 16, and in the last four years we've run a problem. That's not a, that's not a political statement, that's just an observation. Okay? Both, I'm, I'm not saying the solution to one party or the other. So my point is, it's not possible for politicians to solve the problem. They're telling us lies when they're saying, oh, yeah, we're going to get the engine going and all that kind of stuff. It's not possible. I mean, we can't grow enough to grow our way out of this. Okay? 
I'm against the back. You're right. I'm not even talking about judgment or any of that. Okay, I'm just saying we can't do it. Most of ever, we've ever been able to collect with any kind of rates, no matter what the rates were, the most we've ever been able to collect is 20% of GDP, you know, for revenue. So the highest number we could possibly, you know, get in revenue is maybe $3 trillion, and we're sitting at 3.6 right now. I mean, so if we started over tomorrow, we'd be back a trillion dollars in debt in two years. I mean, so it, it's just not going to happen the way they're telling us it's going to happen. And so it matters, you know, where we're going with this. Um, you know, one of the things, there was a documentary several years ago um, about a different subject, a guy that used to be the defense department um, head, uh, Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara, Acting Kennedy, and Lyndon Johnson. And they did a documentary on his life called, excuse me, The Fog of War. And one of the things he says is that it is incredible the arrogance of the military leaders to think that you can go into war and know what's going to happen. You know, there's so much that can change once you actually get into war, it's impossible to predict on things. And that's essentially what we have right now. We have governmental people that think they're going to be able to come and manage it. All, by the way, excluding God. You know, no, nobody's talking about God. And that somehow that's going to do it. So that's not going to happen. Now, I'm not trying to be negative about it. I'm just trying to, to make the observation that if you have not dealt with this subject and thought about it, what are you going to do if you, in fact, start losing what you need? You're going to have a problem. Okay? Now, finally, before, and I just, I just want to cover a few things uh, with us uh, before we kind of look at real quickly at some spiritual issues. All of us live with, we have what, what is called presupposition. It's a way we look at life. It's the glasses through which we see everything. So, for example, one of my presuppositions is, well, everybody goes to college, you know, because everybody that's in my business goes to college. Well, that's not true. It's not true in America, you know. It's, not, it's certainly not true all over the world. That's just a presupposition. Well, all of us have presuppositions. And I have to address this first before I can talk about Scripture because the problem is when you hear the words, if somebody hasn't poked around on the presupposition where you're aware of it, it just reflects off of you. You just don't even, it just doesn't even sink in. So I just want to go through three or four of these things. Okay, first of all, reality is not the same as your perception of reality. Now, easy example. Guy goes to the doctor. Doctor says you have terminal cancer. You're going to die in six months. That guy's reality has not changed one iota. The day before he went to the doctor, he was totally dependent on the Lord for one more day's life. The day after he went to the doctor, he's totally dependent on the Lord for one more day's life. What changed dramatically was his perception of reality. His perception came into better alignment with reality. That's actually a good thing. So your reality is you're dependent on the Lord to take care of you financially, regardless of what your perception of reality may be. Another one is what we say we believe is different than what we believe. What you believe, well, here's the best definition. Dallas Willard says, what you believe 
in, or, or the definition of belief, is to act as though it's true. You act as though it's true. That's what James said. I can tell you what you believe by what you do. Right? Okay? And so here's, here's what that means. It does not matter what we say we believe. What matters is what do we actually believe? How are we actually living? And most of us, in my experience, are actually living as though it's dependent on me. I'm trustworthy. If God would just do things the way I think He ought to, everything would work out fine. We'll talk about that We would seriously. I mean, is that your final answer? I mean, is that really what you want to, you know, hold your hold your uh, heart on? So, anyway, that that could be a real problem. So, I don't have to talk to you. I can just look at your checkbook and your calendar, your day planner, and I can tell you exactly what you do. So what would happen if I did look at your checkbook in your day time? How are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? That's what you believe in. Okay, now, another one is, and, and people don't actually put this in the language, and we certainly don't talk about it in church because it's not polite to actually admit it. We believe what we see instead of what God says. We think that science, you know, trumps God. Well, and I'm not, the point here is to get off on, on science, but point is, we think if we see it, it must be true. What we call immutable laws, like gravity, are preferences. In other words, gravity works most of the time. didn't work when Jesus walked on water. didn't work when the accident floated. It works most of the time, but it doesn't work all the time. You know, people staying dead works most of the time, but it doesn't stay true all the time. Okay? So what God said is, though, He is not a man that He could lie. So what He has said, that is immutable. Not what you think and what you see. So you may say, I have no money. I can't invest in the kingdom. What you're saying is, what I see is more important than what God has said. That's not, my point there is not to condemn you. My point is just to make an observation. Okay? So that's important as you look at this, is how am I making these decisions? And in my experience, most of us are making our decisions based on what we see, not based on what we said. Another one is we're living our lives based on this age instead of the age to come. Now, if you think about that for five seconds, that is crazy. And Randy Alcorn talks about be kind of like if you're moving to Atlanta and it's going to take you three days. You know, you spend the whole time preparing where you're going to eat dinner and where you're going to stop for gas and do all this kind of stuff. What are you going to do when you get to Atlanta? I don't know. I haven't thought about it. That's the way you live life. Maybe a better illustration might be think about college. Okay? If you went to college and you thought those four years is all that matters, you would live totally differently if you said, no, that's an internship for my life after I get out of college. I'm in training. Yes, it matters what happens when you're in college, but it only sort of matters compared to what's going to happen the rest of your life. Okay? This life is, is you know, Mike Beckham and others have said, it's an internship. We're preparing for the age to come. 
We need to start living like we're preparing for the age to come, rather than that it's all based on what's going on right now. All right, now this is one that's primarily in the church in the West, but it affects all of us. We really believe this. And when I say believe, what I mean is we act as though it's true. Life is primarily about me and my happiness. That's what we think. And we fundamentally believe that if we're a wholeheartedly devoted to, to Jesus, that we may have some temporary setbacks, but generally speaking, things will go well for us. And when it doesn't, we're surprised and offended. As you think about that for just a minute, how did we get that idea? I mean, that's crazy. You know, Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. We think we're going to get it some other way. I mean, it's insane. Why would we think if the, the Creator God has set everything up that our individual happiness is His primary focus as opposed to rescuing the planet? We didn't even do that in World War II. Everybody in World War II was willing to understand, look, there's something bigger going on here than what I'm doing. So if I can't you know, have rubber or the things that I want or what or need or whatever, that's okay because the cause is bigger. And yet in the West, we develop this mentality literally that it's all about us. And that suffering is bad. And if you have that kind of a, a belief system subconsciously that you've never even focused on or never dealt with, you will have, you, you will have a problem when God tells you to do something because you'll think, well, He can't mean that. He can't mean give away my house fund. Because he clearly wants us to have a house because then we can do all these other things. But that's not, I mean, it's not, it doesn't make us bad people. It's just, we don't even, we can't even hear what he's saying because of this problem where we're not, we have this false belief system and this doesn't come through. All right, now this is, and then we'll move on to something else, the last couple. And this is really, really important, particularly for those, it's important for all of us. For those of you who are young, I just am so delighted to be here and have so many people that are starting out and say, guys like me that already got the concrete kind of set, okay? We believe fundamentally that our provision is dependent on us. If it's to be, it's up to me. That's the way we live life. Now, seriously? I mean, is that where, where do you get that scripture? I mean, where do you get anything like that in scripture? It doesn't exist. And a core, I mean, we want to be less dependent on God. And He wants us to be more dependent. We want to be more independent so we can stand on our own two feet. He wants us to be less dependent. I mean, more dependent. Less independent. I mean, here's just two or three quick examples. The evening and the morning were the first day. Okay? In God's time frame, what we do the first part of every day is we go to bed. So He can work uninterrupted. And when we get up in the morning, we join him in what he's doing. We think it's all dependent on us. He says, go to bed. He does the same thing with covenant. But hey, we do with Abraham. So if you go to sleep, we're going to do covenant. We're going to exchange vows. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to put you to sleep so you're not messing things up. That way we can, you know, walk through it. 
Okay, he's not looking for our help. I mean, he tells Paul, his power is perfected in our weakness. We want to be anything but weak. He wants us to be more weak so his power can be perfected. I mean, Psalms 127.2 says, you know, in vain you get up early and stay up late pulling for food to eat, but while they sleep, the Lord provides for those who are. Okay. So it is not dependent on us. It is dependent on Him, and it always has been. We just have a false belief system. And finally, success is not the way we define it. We define it as being financially organized. You have a big house, you have a big job, you make a lot of money, you have a big retirement account. You're successful. What Jesus said in John 17, 4 is, I brought you glory by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. There's only one thing, and boy, I really want to focus in on the young people here. There's only one thing you have to worry about, and that is finding out what did God create you to do and then do it. And it does not matter how much money you make or don't make. He will give you the resources you need if you're accomplishing what He's called you to do. Okay? And, you know, if that's no money, that's fine. On the other hand, if you make all the money in the world and you don't do that, you mess up. You are not successful. All right. Now, with that in background, by way of background, What's the Holy Spirit wrote about this morning? There's a couple of things that are really distressing me that we, I just want to throw out to you very quickly. One is, there is a wholesale abandonment of the concept of mammon and the warnings to the rich that you find in Scripture in the church in the West. Now, we think um, that, excuse me for a second, we think that the rich person is the other guy. But I'm not rich. And guess what? I know people, I can say that all make hundreds of thousands to a few million a year. I, I don't have one of them that thinks they're rich. You would think they're rich, but they don't think they're rich. And let me tell you something else. The rest of the world thinks you are rich. I, my daughter has a part-time job. She made a few hundred dollars last month. She last month made more money than 40% of the world's population makes in a year. 40% of the world's population gets by on $2 a day or less. $2 a day. $700 a year. So when you read those scriptures about rich, he's talking to you. And you should take it seriously. And then the other thing that the Holy Spirit is really focusing in on right now, it seems, is though, is we are teaching the world systems in the church as it relates to money and using Christian language and tithing and thinking it's the same thing as what God says. It's not. We're not teaching what He said. We literally, you know, Mary Bethany, you know, wrote the alabaster uh, perfume. That was very expensive, more than a year's wage. Remember that? Probably her inheritance. We don't know that for sure, but I mean, a young woman would have something that valuable. So if someone came and said, okay, I'm going to empty out my investment account and give it to the Lord, we say the same thing today that they said back then. That's a waste. 
Jesus not only saw it as a witness, he says, this is going to be talked about from now until I come back. Everywhere this gospel goes, this story is going to be talked about. This young woman suffered real by giving all that away. And yet, he didn't see it the way we see it. He didn't see it as bad stewardship. What's my point? I mean, if he tells you to do something with his money, you need to do it. It doesn't matter what you think about it. Okay. Now, all right. So, what's a good working definition of um, biblical stewardship? Okay. It's real hard to follow. It's not your money. It's not your money. And I have been a steward. I write checks on other people's accounts. And guess what? It's their money. It's not mine. We have an agreement as to how much I'll be paid for doing that. But if I were to take that money and use it for my own personal purposes, how do you think that would go over? That's what you're doing. Your bank account may have your name on it, but let me assure you, it does not belong to you. Now, in my experience, what I have had is the owners don't necessarily want to spend the money the way I think they ought to. They spend it on things I think is foolish. But it's their money. They get to do it. So what does that mean for us? If he wants to take money from you and use it some way other than how you think you ought to, you don't have anything to say about it. It's his money. He can do whatever he wants. So if you lose all your money in this global shaking, that's his choice. If he tells you to give away the house money, that's his choice. And we have to get the reality that that's what's going on, or else none of this other stuff's going to matter. We're never going to be able to hear what he's saying to us about it, because we're so locked up in, well, he can't mean that, because if that were true, then this would happen. If I gave away all my inheritance, if I gave away all my retirement account, well, then I would be destitute, and my kids would have to take care of me. And we make up all these stories, which is it's true. But the point is, if it's his money and he wants to do it, that's what we need to be doing. Okay? Now, it's actually bigger than money, though. He wants everything. The money is just kind of the beginning stage. He wants everything. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants your focused attention and affection. He wants everything. He's not satisfied to leave us where we are. He wants to move us where he wants us to be. Okay? He wants it all. Focus wholeheartedly being a disciple is the only solution, and that's, that's the end. He owns it all. He owns it all because basically, if you, if you think about it, he owns it by way of creation. Okay. He owns it by way of redemption. He bought us with a price, right? Very clear. We all say that. We act as though it's true. Okay. 
And he owns it because he's the king. In our democracy, we don't have a concept. Kings own everything, all of the assets, including the lives of the of the people, and could do whatever they wanted to. He owns everything. But most importantly, this is why I love what happened this morning because I didn't bother calling calling anybody what I was going to talk about. But he's worthy of it all. I mean, really, he's worthy of it all. What is he going to ask you to give up? It's too much. What are you going to tell Jesus? That's just too hard. I can't do that. Based on what he did, like it laid out, for example, in Philippians 2. What? He laid down everything. He's our forerunner. He laid down it all. What's he going to ask you for? You know, in my personal situation, in my daughter's situation, he came and got us when we were on a different road and brought us back. What's, what could he ask us to know? We really. So we just got to get to where we understand. Now, here's a, here's a couple of um, things that we need to focus on. Um, well, in fact, just, you know, when, when Paul started about the Macedonian church, he says, you know, he, he was commending them in certain Corinthians, and he says, you know, they surprised us because they gave themselves first. So what we really have once again, getting back to it, is just the heart of it. Now, there's a couple of um, there's a couple of things that are our primary problem. So, in fact, let's just say one final thing. Let's just go off this. So, really, biblical stewardship is essentially living life focused on God's purposes, God's plan, and God's way. It's discipleship. It's following Him wholeheartedly. fundamental problem we have in wanting to go down that path is we're worried. Is that really going to work out okay? What's he going to ask for? The problem is we want to we want to know in advance what we're agreeing to. We want to sign the contract with all the terms filled in. Not signing the contract blank and having him fill in the terms later. So, some of us have a problem in the sense that we fundamentally, in our heart of hearts, do not believe that He really is going to take care of us. He knows my situation and He's going to take care of us. Most of us, that's not what our problem is. That is what some people problem is. That's not what most of us For most of us, what it is, is we've lost our perspective. Our problem had gotten to be so big that God has gotten to be small. You know, when the moon is really large in the sky, we say it's bigger. It's not bigger. It seems bigger because it's closer. If we can focus on the majesty of who He is and regain our perspective, and an easy way to do that, by the way, just sit down. If you're really struggling with this, sit down and read 20, 15, 20 psalms in one sitting. Doesn't matter which, which one. And what will happen, do that two or three days in a row, what will happen is your perspective of God will get back where it needs to be. How great is He? 
and your perspective of your problem is, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's a lot smaller when compared to the greatness of God. So that's what most of us have a problem with, is we've lost our perspective. But then there's one final problem that many of us have, and we also don't want to admit this. We have become offended with God because He did not handle a situation that we thought He should have handled in the way we thought He should have handled. I mean, we honestly believe, actually, though it's true, He's capricious in how He goes about answering prayer. We honestly tend to believe things will be better if He just do it our way. That's crazy. And seriously, that's crazy. And yet, that's what we do because we become offended, you know, with God. And so, if you're in that place, the Lord wants to bring that up and He wants to deal with it. Okay, so let's kind of pull it together here. So, what does all this mean? What should we, what should we do? Where should we go from, from here? Let me urge you if you're afraid of losing something, Identify and then deal with losing it. Give it to Him. It belongs to Him. You're the one that has the problem. You have forgotten that it belongs to Him. So if you have something, the life of my wife or my child or my finances or my life or my health or my job or my house or my retirement or whatever, if you're afraid of losing something, you need to identify that and give it to him now. Sign the contract, give it to him in your heart. You cannot lose what you do not have. If necessary, have a season of mourning. I mean, I am repentant for that matter. You know, I started focusing a few years ago on the fact that, you know, I really believe Jesus is coming back soon. If that's true, that has implications. And the implications are that my life isn't necessarily going to be as comfortable as I thought it was going to be, or it won't be as comfortable as, say, it has been for the last 30 or 40 years. Well, there's a season of mourning there where I was like, wow. So when I get to retirement, I'm not necessarily going to be retired. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily be playing golf or doing whatever. So if you need to have a season of mourning, then have a season of work. Morning. If you need to have a season of repentance, have a season of repentance. And if it takes a while, fine, get on with it. Get started. Delaying isn't going to make it go short. Then what you have to do, and I, this is not language, this is reality. Walk into the heart of God and recognize He is your everything. For real. What did, he, what did he tell Abraham? Genesis 15, 1. Do not be afraid. When I talk about this, fear tends to say, don't, that's not God. Okay? Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your protector, your very great reward. It's Him. I mean, that is it. Do not be afraid. He is our shield and protection. Now, Psalm 91, 1, you know, we talked about covering us, and that 
you know, just think 9 11. If you're in trouble, think 9 11 and go to Psalm 91 and read 91. Okay? He is our protector. And He is our reward. Let me assure you there is nothing that matches being connected at the heart level with Him. And then once you've done that, get excited about what's going on. All of human history has been pointing to the time frame we're living in. We have the opportunity to partner with the King of Kings in rescuing the planet. Okay? It's everything, and we get to be a part of it. Yes, there's going to be some difficult times, but guess what? The revival that's coming is coming because of the difficult times. It's a corollary. We want to have the revival, but we don't want to have the difficult times. Well, they're connected. And this end-time revival that's coming is going to be so great because the end-time difficulties are going to be so great. But He is protecting it. So let's get excited about it. Get prepared for it. You cannot wait until the rain starts to build your history in God and have the ark. And you have to be doing it right now. You cannot face the giant until you've you know, dealt with the bear and the lion. He wants to build his history with you now so that when it comes, rather than being shaken, you can stand up and be a, a light to the nations. It will draw people. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to do. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go ahead. Now, there's a lot of we can talk about if the worship team will come on up. You want to have a time, a season real uh, quickly here with prayer and, and ministry. So my question to you today is, what is the Lord highlighting to you? It's not going to get better with time. If you're having conviction, now is the time. What we need to have in our hearts is an unrelenting commitment to say yes to the next thing. We're never going to know what the next thing is. We just have to have a resolve that I am going to say yes.